It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Rich Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Throughout the COVID-19 crisis, Governor Brian Kemp has allowed licensed child care in Georgia to remain open to serve children and families. However, with more families staying at home, child care attendance significantly declined, except for children of first responders and essential workers. At one point, only 30% of the licensed programs in Georgia remained open. And Commissioner, today we're talking with two of those programs for a look at best practices. Yeah, it's great to have um, two of our shining stars in childcare. Um, they've done an amazing job as they worked really, really hard to stay open because they knew the families that they serve on a regular basis really needed them. And they've done a great job of uh, keeping not only the children and the family safe, but also their staff. So it'll be great to hear um, some of their lessons learned uh, during this pandemic. Yeah, you know, we hear from folks all the time that uh, weren't as lucky and had to close and they're just coming back and that kind of thing. And they ask a lot, well, what could we have done different? And that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is for you to hear directly from two providers uh, who experienced uh, all of that, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, through COVID-19. So joining us to talk about Georgia Child Care open for business in a pandemic are Jennifer Paschal, with Endeavor Schools in Atlanta, Michelle Smith-Lank with Kids World Learning Center in Statesboro, and our own April Rogers, Director of Policy and Enforcement with Child Care Services. Ladies, uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, Amy, uh, let's start by looking back at the start of all of this uh, in March. Uh, What was the impact of COVID-19 on child care in Georgia, and I know you've worked in this industry. Have we ever seen anything like this before? Um, so no, <laughs> I think uh, none of us alive today have ever even experienced a pandemic, um, much less the effects of a pandemic, um, an economic downturn, and everything else um, as it relates to childcare. So no, this is definitely uncharted territory, and all the other words that we used before. Um, but COVID absolutely had an impact on childcare in Georgia. You know, as you mentioned, you know, Governor Kemp didn't force a closure, but some programs were forced to close. They made the difficult choice to close. Um, and those that remained open had a really tough job um, adhering to all of the additional guidance and decreased group sizes and everything that was thrown on them, really in the best interests of public health. But um, it was, there were a lot of changes, and I'll have to say that um, child care in general in Georgia always does a good job, um, but they've really stepped up to the plate and proven that they are experts in keeping children safe, even during a pandemic. And so um, I know um, we've all heard the story from Yale and the research out of Yale, you know, with good news about child care, and I would say Georgia's a shining example of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. April, you guys have been monitoring this from the very beginning, and I know we were together uh, at the start of all of this in March. I remember April was uh, in our roundtable discussions with our executive cabinet uh, at DECAL, uh, kind of working through those early days when we were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, How did you see it? What what was the impact uh, on childcare? 
Well, most definitely, as you and the commissioner have both said, like we, nobody had experienced this. So we were, you know, building the plane as we flew it and trying to figure it out and trying to help and to guide childcare programs on what they were doing and figuring it out. Um, they do a good job on the day to day, but this is something none of us um, in the childcare industry um, in regulation had ever experienced. And so I think we, um, DECAL and the childcare providers have come together to, you know, to understand we all have a job to do um, and we have to figure out and have figured out how to do it in these different times. So Michelle, I want to start with you. Uh, what was the impact like down in Statesboro um, at Kids World and how did you respond? Well, thinking back to mid-March, um, our attendance went from 97% um, throughout our four buildings all the way down to 18% in our four buildings. And then that equates to about 30 children in four buildings um, attending childcare each day um, starting in March. And as I had been watching the pandemic hit overseas, um, and I had also been meeting with some childcare providers across the country, and then also those here in Georgia, I quickly realized the necessity for two things. Number one, that I had to stay open. And number two, that I had to be um, transparent and um, communicating with my staff and my parents immediately. And those are the two things um, that we learned very early on. That's a great point. And let me ask you this, Michelle, is there a date circled in your calendar of when this all kind of went down in terms of, was it the declaration of the public health emergency, schools closing? Do you remember when all this, and maybe you don't, but do you remember? No, when I do. Okay. Absolutely. So March 16th was an in-service day for Georgia pre-K. And um, that was the, and students did not attend, but the teachers did. And that was the last time I saw my Georgia pre-K students. Wow. And it all tumbled down mm -hmm. from there. Man, that's amazing. 30 students in four buildings. Um, Jennifer, how about you for Endeavor Schools here in Atlanta? Had a similar response. We, we Our responses were mixed. Some of our schools were impacted more than others, depending on the offering and the location. And the community, we have Montessori schools as well as traditional. Um, so we realized that we had to keep our families engaged. So we immediately created a remote learning option to keep students engaged with the teachers and people that they were used to seeing in their lives. Um, so we started that in the early months of the pandemic. We also kept our schools open for face-to-face -face education as well because we knew we had families that absolutely had to work. Um, so we started the health, health and safety protocols and um, we saw attendance grow as parents became more comfortable once they understood what we were doing to keep the children safe. Um, we did have a school, one of our new schools we had just opened. Um, we were down to seven children a day and we kept them open. Um, literally, parents were walking there uh, nervous about what was going on. But communication was definitely key. We were very transparent. We, we hadn't, of course, seen anything like this before either. It was just unprecedented. Well, I will say that obviously there were so many unknowns when all of this began to unfold. And with that, there were a lot of feelings um, because none of us knew, you know, what the right answer was on some days. So 
Um, let's talk about how your parents were feeling and how your staff was feeling. And then how did you manage to balance those two? Well, I can start with um, first how my staff um, was feeling when making the decision to remain open. You know, I consulted my staff first um, to gauge exactly how they were feeling. And the majority of, the, of them understood the, the severity of the situation um, because I knew that the pandemic was going to last longer than the two to four weeks that many of the child care providers thought it was going to last and what they were expecting. I would always say, no, be prepared for longer. Um, but most of my staff conveyed that this is what we do. Um, we take care of children every day. We know how to wash our hands correctly. We know um, how to deal with and we've been trained on infectious diseases. Let's stay open. Um, so it seemed like messaging my staff, um, that was something that I did every other day on new developments. Um, the information that we were receiving as owners and directors um, seemed like it changed not only daily, but sometimes hourly. Um, so there was new developments all the time. And then on my parents' side, um, I know that they were feeling anxious. And that's why I felt like I had to have this open, honest communication um, with them. I was very transparent with them. Um, their emails were sometimes two to three times a week on new CDC protocols, um, information on why they could not enter the buildings anymore, um, what Kids World was doing to ensure their children's safety and the staff's safety. Um, and then really what I expected of them as my parents um, to ensure that the program was safe and then also to ensure that we had a viable, pro qual high quality program on the other side of COVID. Jen, how about you? Um, similar. We, our staff were nervous. Uh, we had, in some of our schools, we had high risk staff members that we talked through their scenarios. Some decided to stay, some chose to stay home. We worked around that. Um, it was critical that we partnered with the CDC and John Hopkins University, as well as the state and local health departments. Um, and their information we were sending to parents daily, sometimes, because it can't change daily, like Michelle said. Uh, we had schools, we have schools across the country. So we started experiencing our first situations and the first communication went out in late January. So we we're a little ahead of the game um, just because we were dealing with it a little bit sooner than Georgia was. And we learned through our situations there how to manage Georgia. Um, but the, the staff definitely were key. They had to understand and feel safe so they could make sure that the families felt safe. It was definitely, there were lots of conversations. Um, there were lots of, you know, there was a lot of thought put into how we handled everyone. And it was a case by case situation, one, one school at a time, one teacher at a time, um, to see who, could, who felt comfortable, who could do what. Once they saw all the steps that, and the layers of you know, processes that we put into place, things went a lot smoother. I can't say that it was ever smooth, but they went, you know, there was a better understanding. And one thing, Jen, and I'm going to add to what you said is it, the best way for an owner and director to manage their staff and their parents was also through the support that we had um, within each other. So being able to call other program um, owners and directors and say, how are you managing this? What protocols are you instilling? Those are the things that 
um, I felt helped me through um, the pandemic at the early stages and knowing what other people did, I found out quickly what um, I wanted to do um, in replicating those things. And I also found out what I didn't want to do um, in learning from their example and not having to go through what they went through. Mm. And Michelle, I know you've been involved in the quality rated peer support network. Well, if there was ever a time you need some peer support, it's a pandemic. Absolutely. So good, good to know. What were you guys hearing from parents in terms of why they weren't bringing their children? Was it safety or the fact that they were working from home and didn't need childcare in this instance? Uh, Jen, what was the feedback from your parents? I think there were a lot of different things depending on the community. Um, we had everything from, you know, families that had a high risk family member at home that were afraid to bring their child back and, you know, bring exposure home. Um, lots of families had new options to work from home. A lot of companies gave them those options that worked at first for many and some came back eventually. Um, there were job losses there you know, were new caregivers that were available as an option. And then there were even people that were ill and, you know, had to stay home for those reasons. Um, again, that's why our remote, the remote learning helped to keep us connected. When they felt comfortable, a lot, a lot of our families came back. Others, it just still kept them in touch with the students, kept us in touch with the students so we understood what they were going through. Um, but that's, you know, those were the kinds of objections we were getting. It was more, how does this work? What's mm. working for our family? What's new? Those kind of things. And Michelle in Statesboro, same, same situation? Um, yes. So I think that is the same situation across uh, the state of Georgia. Initially, um, I would say it was fear, um, mainly from parents. This is an unknown, you know, uh, illness that we were dealing with. And they were just afraid, afraid for their children. Um, Bullock County was the first rural hotspot um, in Georgia. And so, you know, we have we had that to contend with as well. Um, and, you know, the job loss, um, those with a vulnerable immune system, we have several children that had that, that could not come to school um, just for their own safety. Um, and then all of the things that Jen said. So very soon after the pandemic began in the United States, we really began seeing a lot of um, stories and a lot of research calling this could be a crisis for child care, not just in Georgia, but nationally, because we all know child care operates on a small profit margin during regular times, but everyone began to worry and do analysis on what the impact could possibly be to child care on a national level. So do you believe that a crisis in child care can result in a crisis in the economy um, since it would limit parents and their ability to go to work without childcare. Absolutely. I think through this whole pandemic, what people realized um, is childcare is essential. Um, and without us, um, without licensed high quality programs, um, you know, the whole system could fail. And um, we just, are appreciative, um, Commissioner Jacobs, that you, uh, you know, fought for us to stay open and we were allowed to stay open because that, that was um, essential for our, our communities. There are so many professions that don't have the option to work from home. Um, 
And in several states, the governors were asking schools to open and asking, you know, giving guidance on how to open. Um, military families needed, they have to report and medical families have to report. And there are so many other, you know, parts of this country that need to function and childcare is essential. And we needed them to be, we needed to know the children were safely being cared for. Parents need to be able to go to work and understand that their children were safe. They weren't just with a neighbor or with somebody. Um, So it, it definitely is a problem if we're not open. And to add on to what Jen just said, um, in talking to several of my essential parents um, at the very beginning, they were so appreciative that we were able to stay open because they had so many things to worry about with their job. I had several ER um, nurses as single parents that had no one else but us. We are their family. Um, And for them to be able to focus 100% on their job and not worry about the safety and health of their children while their children are with us at at childcare is something that um, they were relieved about and something that they um, really appreciated and have um, shown gratitude for during this um, pandemic. Well, we've seen in uh, lots of photos from our child care providers all across Georgia that uh, it's a different world and it looks a little different because of safety precautions and stepped up cleaning and that kind of thing. How has that uh, impacted the cost for operating uh, the child care business these days? I can tell you that we've just recently done an analysis and we're seeing about a 15% increase in our expenses um, between disinfectants and remediation processes um, and the enhanced cleaning, the PPE, facility changes in the facility to make it work for the group sizes. Um, And then there's the payroll with keeping children, we're keeping children isolated groups we're not sharing staff or spaces. Um, so, you know, there are big changes there too. So, but we agree that this is the safest way to operate. So we're doing what we have to. And we're incorporating um, hand washing and disinfecting every hour on the hour. So that's the increased cost in soaps and cleaning supplies. Um, our glove supply um, price has tripled um, and our unlimited um, supply. So we can only order once a month. Um, new purchases of the mask and the smocks and the lab coats. Um, We have uh, sanitizing shoe mats. Um, We have added air purifying systems into our current air conditioning units. Um, Touchless thermometers. All of that has increased our um, health and safety budget from 3% to 24% if you increase payroll. Um, That's a huge jump. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the good news is Georgia received $144 million under the Federal CARES Act. And for the first round, almost 3,800 providers received more than $38.8 million in financial support through what we call stable payments. You know, we like a good acronym at DECAL. Uh, The second round is now underway, and we anticipate uh, payments totaling $55 million. Um, So was that money helpful, and how did you use it? I'd like to say that Georgia was one of our most supportive states across the nation. Um, We were committed to staying open and keeping our staff as whole as possible. So the first round of grants um, went directly to our staff. So the second round of funding 
we're looking for to use it towards recruiting efforts as that's changed and um, facility needs during the COVID crisis and supplies. So it'll go a little, it'll be spent differently this time, but the first time was literally just for our staff to keep them. I too am appreciative of the stable funds. Um, for my program, I didn't put anyone on unemployment. Um, my staff received full wages, even though they worked half their schedule for five months. And um, the stable funds um, for that round one were used to pay for payroll taxes um, because that is still due. And so um, round one helped relieve about only one and a half months of payroll taxes, but all help is, is great help. Um, and round two is going to go um, towards mortgage and more personal protective equipment replenishment because those supplies have to be replenished all the time. Right. What about SOB grants um, and, you know, the scholarships for school-aged children learning virtually? I know it depends on if you have a school system that's eligible where your program is operating. Have you, have you had any students that were eligible for SOB? I have not. Um, our county um, was hybrid, so they had gotcha. the choice of staying home or um, going to um, school. Um, and even though that is available to parents, I still opened a school-age classroom um, for parents who are not comfortable sending their children to the school system, but still have to work. Um, and then uh, children that are in the foster system, um, we have foster parents that um, some of them are in vulnerable um, situations and they didn't want the children in the school system. And so we have a school-age classroom, but we're not able to take advantage of any SOL funds. We're in the same situation. We did not take advantage of them. And we have classrooms open for the students that need them. So let's talk about tuition. Have you had to raise tuition to remain open? And what's been the reaction to that? At this point, um, we have not raised our tuition in our Georgia schools. Um, in most of our Georgia schools, we've maintained abbreviated hours, which has helped to offset some of those fees or those extra costs. But to this, to date, we have not. And so in my program, um, we usually do a tuition raise every August. And um, in looking at how much to raise uh, tuition, um, it would have been to cover the new cost, a uh, 12 to 16% raise, which no one can afford. So we went up the regular 3% um, for parents and the rest we are, are trying to cover ourselves. And the reaction was? A, a, a thankfulness from the parents that we did not go up 12 to 16%. Right, right. Well, it's been eight months um, with no end in sight. And um, Michelle, I have to say that when all this began um, back in March, we did laugh a little bit at decal, like, we'll go home for 14 days, no problem. We had no idea we would still um, be at home eight months later, as I'm sure none of us did. But it sounds like you did. I should have called you because you predicting this was going to be much longer than two to four weeks. But I never uh, thought it would be eight months. No, I did not. <laughs> Uh, what is your biggest need um, right now? And so when thinking about this question, um, you know, there's a long list of needs. However, my biggest need at this time going into the holidays is for parents and staff to stay vigilant, mm -hmm. um, not laxing in their precautions. People are getting very comfortable. Um, you know, we have been uh, fortunate um, this entire eight months to be COVID free. 
And so we have not had our first COVID case. Um, and we'd like to get through the holidays. And so that is my, my biggest need right now is um, for families, you know, I know it's important at this time of the year for families to gather, um, but it's more important for families to say, to stay safe um, and to remain healthy. And, you know, uh, that is my biggest concern right now. Jen? We want to see everyone back together as soon as possible. We're missing, you know, some parts of our communities. Um, but having people understand that the questions that we ask are important, having them understand that when you travel, it affects all of us, not just you. Our staff have been committed to keeping everyone as safe as possible and trying to maintain, you know. So the understanding that what we're doing is important and there are reasons behind it, um, that's a big deal to us. And bringing everyone back safely is important, especially there's two big holidays coming up um, where colleges, colleges and universities are closing and sending their students home till January. We are not, we're staying open. So, you know, we need everyone to understand what we do and why we do it. Yeah, very important. Looking back over the past eight months, anything you would do differently and what practices have you implemented as a result of COVID-19 that you plan to keep? So there are lots of lessons that have been learned <laughs> and lots of practices that we put into place that we're gonna continue. Um, I know that we've upgraded all of our HVAC systems and that was a plus. So that's going to be something that we will, you know, maintain spraying the equipment outdoors, something honestly, I didn't really think about. Um, we'll move forward with that. The disinfectant that we use, we're going to continue to use that. The classroom, closing the classrooms the way we do, we'll continue with that hand washing and other things. Um, even the social distancing part to some degree in a classroom is helpful. Um, so I think a lot of things will maintain. I think the teachers have also learned lots of lessons and they're gonna maintain the things that they've learned. Things like, you know, individualize, giving them their own box of crayons, just little things, you know. There, there are other viruses that we can avoid spread by using these practices. So I think there'll be a lot of, um, a lot of takeaways and the communication with the parents and the transparency has gone a long, long way. And I don't see that changing either. I think the parents enjoy being in the know. Um, we've had lots of open dialogue. We've had Zoom meetings and calls where we've kept them as informed as possible. And I think they're gonna expect that moving forward. And I think that's something else we'll take with us. Yeah, Michelle? Um, I would say that what I would do different is earlier on find more ways to um, have family engagement um, in a positive way. So they've received the, the communication, the reminders, all of that. Um, I don't think you can have enough of that type uh, communication or, and reminders, but, you know, there was a long period where we were so focused on, you know, the pandemic that, uh, you know, a little bit of our parent engagement kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and I would probably involve the parents that decided to stay at home um, a, more at the beginning. Um, and that's what I would do different. I think, 
um, both Jen and the Endeavor schools and I um, worked really hard um, to do things right and learn from wrong examples and, um, and carry the, you know, through the pandemic. So there's not a lot of things that we would do differently. Um, what one thing that I, or several things that I would keep would be temperature checks. Uh, I think we're going to keep that, um, whether it's inside or outside the building, you know, parents say, when can we come inside the building? Not yet. <laughs> so we're still keeping them outside and probably will through 2020. Um, that way there's no uh, contact tracing that has to be done with parents inside my building. Um, I don't have to worry about what what parent may have wandered in to get a child's coat into a classroom. So um, not having the parents inside the building. Um, we're loving our, our Zoom staff meetings. Um, that's um, very good. And we always had monthly staff meetings, but it's, it seems to be um, more comfortable and easy to do those Zoom staff meetings from home. Um, I also have just instituted a um, morning huddle at 6.45 in the morning with staff once a week, um, just for some, we call it hump day huddle with Miss Michelle. So just to get some inspiration, we don't necessarily talk about work, but it's something inspiring, something motivating um, that is voluntary that teachers can get on and, you know, just feel uplifted before their day begins. Um, and that's something that I probably would never have instituted before uh, this pandemic. And so really thinking about our teachers' mental health and their well-being um, and making sure that they are taking time for self-care is something that has been in the forefront of all of our director and owners minds across the state of Georgia. Um, one thing that we all have done, I know is a strict adherence to our sick policy. So no runny noses, um, you know, anything that's on that sick policy, we are strictly adhering to. Um, and uh, I can honestly say that 99.9% .9 of the children that are inside of my, all of my facilities are symptom free. So, um, because they do uh, not get past the door if they have symptoms. So that's one thing that has allowed us to stay safe and healthy, and we're gonna continue that. That also keeps your morale up with your staff when they see that you're not making exceptions and you're doing the right things every day because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Listen, great discussion. I love the morning huddle. Ours is gonna have to be, you know, like 9.45, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You guys have to start early because they, they arrive so soon. So, yeah. Listen, this was a great discussion. Uh, Jen, Michelle, April, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, obviously, we don't know how long this will continue, and we're not going to make any predictions um, as to the end. But uh, right here uh, at month eight or so, we want to just commend you guys for the great job that you're doing, the importance of the role you're playing in serving the children and families of Georgia. And uh, we're just hoping um, for the best as we continue to stay safe and uh, be well in these days. Thanks so much. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Nikki Underwood and I work for the pre-K division down here in Moultrie, Georgia. And I have a question for the commissioner. It has been previously stated that field employees will be permitted to travel and resume visiting programs and providers in person, 
based on data from local and regional sources. My question for Commissioner Jacobs, what specific local data will be used to make this determination? What is the process for collecting and reviewing this data? When was the last time that data was collected and reviewed? Can employees see the results of the evaluation? When will the next data review be conducted to determine when field employees can resume visiting programs in person? Uh, Nikki, that is a great question, and you're absolutely right. We are um, going to use a very detailed protocol with lots of different data points uh, to determine when our remote staff are safe to go back into either childcare programs or schools. Um, a lot of those data points are um, some of the best practices that you've heard since COVID began, you know, number of hospital beds available, of course, number of COVID cases, positivity rate, um, those types of things that we will be looking at. Obviously, it gets a little bit complicated because we can't just look at the statewide averages of, the, of that data. We really have to look at the, at least the region level since we're all over the state of Georgia. And so we are working with um, our research team and the Department of Public Health and John, with John Hopkins data and a consulting firm that's helping us get that data in a format that we will be able to use on a regular basis. And of course, we'll be able to be uh, shared that with our staff so that they can see what we're looking at as we make these determinations. So it's a pretty complicated process for, um, for DECAL to get up and running, but it should be up and running soon and we'll be able to share that when it is ready. How about a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz? We'll draw one name from all the correct answers received. Email your response to decal download at decal.ga.gov. This week's question, what percentage of licensed Georgia child care was open at the start of the pandemic? What percentage of licensed Georgia child care was open at the start of the pandemic, answer that question. Decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll put all the correct answers together, draw one name, and award you a prize. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.